0: You know, when you see yourself on such a large screen, you recognize, I think I've got a face for radio. (laughs) Well, by means of some scientific studies, it's been found out what the most negative word is in the English language. It's two letters, I use it every single day, and yet when it's used, um, we don't really understand and grasps the power that it has behind it. This word creates such a stir within our minds that it has the power to lead others to depression, to suicide. It uh, leads to feelings of guilt, mental instability. It has the power to reduce a person's confidence and lower their self-esteem. The sinister word is the word No. You, you've used the word and, and we thought nothing about it. I've done the same. I've, I've used this word as a parent and I've strung it together. No, 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 no. And I, Oh, my poor kid's mental instability now, right? The damage that I've done to their innocent brains. So you search the internet and you'll just discover, though, article after instructional article on how to say no with actually not saying the word No. Like there's other phrases. We, we've, we have not really thought of this as a derogatory word, but, but it's in the way that we use it. And so we have taken this powerfully negative word and we've defound in certain situations not to use it and to readjust our language. For example, did I get accepted to the college I wanted? Well, the letter came back, we're sorry to inform you, your application has been de- denied. No, you, you didn't get in. Uh, Sir, after restructuring, will I still have a job with the company? Well, some jobs will be kept, but we will be downsizing next year. No, you're not going to have a job. Uh, Will you go out with me? Let's be friends. No, she's not going out with you. (laughs) Did the St. Louis Cardinals make the playoffs this year? They came up short and lost the division to the Cubs. No, they didn't make it to the playoffs. No is intimately connected with rejection and there is nobody that likes to be rejected so if no is the most negative word in the english vocabulary what do you think is the most positive word in the english language well it's the word yes did i did i get accepted to college yes register next semester sir well i have a job next year yes you will will you marry me yes did the cubs lose to the dodgers in the playoffs yes they did Let me just clarify that saying no isn't always wrong and saying yes isn't always right. And I just point that study out to you so that we will recognize that our words have weight. Last week we were challenged to be peacemakers. Christ's followers are peacemakers. And we were advised to be careful with our words. Once they're said, they can be forgiven, but they can't be forgotten. And our words have the power to destroy relationships, they have the power to restore relationships, they have the power to propel someone to higher heights, and they have the power to pull someone to deeper depths. But I want, but I want to be known as an encourager. I want to be someone that is welcomed into a conversation because I'm a delight when I speak and to have around, I want to talk more like Jesus. I want to encourage more like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be the somebody who makes everybody feel like a somebody. In order for me to be the me I want to be, I've got to have control over my tongue. I've got to choose my words wisely because my words have weight. Turn with me to James chapter 3 in the Bible and The chair rack in front of you is page 978. Let's look through some of these wonderful metaphors that James gives. James is the half-brother of Jesus, and he came to faith after Christ was crucified and ascended into heaven, and then he recognized, wow, he really was the son of God. And James chapter 3, he is struggling with a church that is divided between rich and poor and all sorts of other uh, group types, and James is having a real challenge with getting them to be a unified body. They're using their words to wound each other. James chapter three, verse two. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect and able to keep their whole body in check. If you can just say the right things, you'll be a perfect person. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder whenever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it itself is set on fire. Fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And James looks at the tongue, and I think he writes with a level of frustration in his own life as if to say, Brothers, sisters, I can't get a hold of my tongue. None of us can get a hold of it. And he makes it clear. If we can control our tongue, we can control our lives. We can control ourselves. And he uses three distinct metaphors to paint the picture for us that our, our tongue, my tongue is small, but it is disproportionately powerful. Let's look at the three metaphors. My tongue is a bit You know, a strong horse is controlled by something that is small as a bit and a bridle. Now, I'm told that as that bit goes into the horse's mouth, it goes over the top of the horse's tongue. It doesn't gag the horse. It doesn't hurt the animal, but it serves as a way to control that mighty beast. And James pointed out that if a rider wants to have control over the horse, the bit goes over the tongue and gives the rider control over the horse's complete strength. Now, what if you had control over your tongue? What if you didn't lose your cool or say some things that you wished you never would have said? What if you spoke only words of affirmation, positive words? What if you had a rein on your tongue, a bit in your mouth to control your words? Before James spoke about the disproportionate power of our tongue, he wrote these words in James chapter one. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves and the religion is worthless. And James uses the word religion not as we would know it today, but as he would know it back then. A term which is to say that there are things in life that are set apart for God. There are holy and reverent things. This is not a systematic way to worship God. This was about being Christ-like. And so James is actually saying, if you want to be Christ-like, then start having a rein on your tongue. Put the bit and bridle on. Which is kind of funny because some of us, are so loose with our speech that it might serve us well to literally put a bit in our mouth to stop us from speaking, to muzzle the mouth. Catherine Marshall is now long past dead, but um, her husband, Peter Marshall, was famous as being the chaplain of the U.S. Senate so Catherine didn't get quite the attention that she should have, but she was one that was quite a notorious figure in the faith. She had recognized as she got older in life that her words were becoming negative and she was becoming grumpy and wouldn't have anything nice to say. So she decided, she decided that for 30 days she wouldn't speak unless she had something nice to say. She found out two things about herself in those 30 days. She said, one, she didn't have too many nice things to say, so she didn't talk very much. And two, no one missed her talking. No one said to her, Catherine, we would really love for you to have your input on this. No one missed her voice. Proverbs 17 verse 28 gives us this pearl of wisdom. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. Now my dad would tell it to me like this. His pearl of wisdom was, if you don't know nothing, don't say nothing. And you've heard it kind of like this. If you don't have anything nice to say, what? Don't say anything at all. Maybe it's time to start appearing smarter than we really are and just zip the lip. My tongue is a bit, my tongue is a rudder. My words do more than just steer the conversation. They determine the direction of my life. Someone said, your words determine your destiny. What comes from your mouth will dictate your future. If your words are lies, you're going to be someone who can't be trusted. If your words are spiteful, if they're demoralizing, you're going to find that you're going to have less friends at the end. If your words are full of gossip, you're not destroying the reputation of someone else. You're actually destroying your own reputation when you think you're destroying someone else's. You're crippling your character. The book of Proverbs chapter 20 tells us, gossip betrays a confidence. So avoid anyone who talks too much. Friends, there is probably no quicker way to lose your integrity and to lose your character and then when you gossip. We're all guilty of it. Let's just stop it because it is killing our witness when we do it. This is not, I don't think, the label that you want to wear, the gossip. Your words determine the direction of your life. They become a rudder to you. Your tongue, my tongue, is a rudder. My tongue does more than just steer the conversation, and it does more than just determine the course of my life. It determines the direction of the life of others that I speak into. This past summer, I was sent a thank you letter in the mail from a minister who had credited me as being the reason for going into full-time ministry. Now that shocked me because I couldn't remember who this guy was so I looked him up real quick on social media and I still couldn't remember him and so I called somebody else and they said, no, it's this guy that you met at camp a few years ago and I remembered then. The conversation we had late at night, we were shooting baskets as the campers were in bed and it was a very casual conversation and I talked to him about the ministry. I didn't think anything about it, but he did. I couldn't remember the words, but he couldn't forget them. And I made a positive difference in his life. Your words do more than steer the conversation. They determine the course and direction of others. Your words are a bit. Your tongue is a rudder. Your tongue, he says, also is a spark. A couple weeks ago, my brother and his family were evacuated from their home in California. Wildfires were hundreds of feet from their neighborhood threatening to destroy their house and possibly endangered their family. So the police knocked on their door and told them that they had to gather up important documents and small amounts of family heirlooms and leave as quick as possible. And they were escorted to safety. Now his home, his home survived. uh, But, but if you've read the news about those wildfires in California, you've recognized that many homes weren't spared and many lives weren't spared either. Did you know that fire investigators can track back the initial cause of a giant forest fire, they can go back to the and pinpoint exactly where it started, the flame. I'm told that scorched grass lays in the direction towards where the initial burn began. It leads investigators to pinpoint the site of where the destruction had started. And fire officials had just announced last week that they located where the fire had started, and it's just a few days from now they'll probably release what caused the fire. And I bet that if you and I could go back and see some of our relationships where they went south, we would see the grass, scorched earth, laying towards our words, our argument, our opinions that were expressed in a negative manner. If, if you wanted to go back and investigate when the marriage started to decline, more than likely, it wouldn't be about The example, it'd be more so about your words. The scorched earth would point back to where the words had stung and dug in deep. Just just a little spark can start a forest fire. Just one little word can wreck a family. Sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will break your heart. My tongue is a spark. What I have to recognize, too, is my tongue is out of control. Go back to James chapter 3. Look at verse 9 with me because it continues on to talk about the behavior that we have that's expressed through our tongue. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings we who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praises and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. We're in verse 11 now. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt produce fresh water. What he's saying is my tongue is out of control. And what he's doing is he's confronting us with our inconsistency. He's confronting us with our hypocrisy. He's confronting us with singing praises in here and then getting into our car and blaring songs that praise sin. Sin. He's confronting us with praying with our kids before bed and then seconds later after the amen, raging out on them in anger. He is pointing out the hypocrisy in us when we sit in small group discussion and we tell about how God is so good in our life and then after we say amen in prayer, we go on and we we gossip about someone in the church. He's calling us out for when we breathe one praise to God and then in the next breath, we curse his church. Heart tongues, we just don't have control of our tongues. They are inconsistent. And here's James' conclusion about our inconsistency with our tongue. He just says, it's because your hearts aren't pure. That's why. It's a heart issue. It's not a tongue issue. Ultimately, the tongue's just saying with the heart, what's in the heart. A fig tree can't grow olives. A salt spring can't produce fresh water. And the heart that's full of impurities will speak impurities and jesus had a teaching that was just like this and jesus teaching is way more powerful than james teaching he's way more clear about it our tongues he says are tied our tongues are tied they're tied to our character they're tied to our heart and the heart in the bible is our inner being it's who we really are and they're tied to our judgment how god will judge us in the afterlife Matthew chapter 12, turn with me there, 793 in the Bible in that chair rack in front of you. Matthew's writing about a time when he witnessed a group of religious leaders called the Pharisees accuse Jesus of being an agent of Satan. Isn't that funny? They looked at Jesus and they said, well, he must be from Satan. You know, that adds up, right? And then G- Jesus tells them, I'm not, I'm not from Satan. I'm not Satan's agent. And as a matter of fact, he says, can Satan be a divided? And then he said the words, a house divided cannot stand. And that led into this deeper discussion about the heart, about man being divided, about man trying to speak clean words through an unpure heart. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33, Jesus has this teaching. He says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by his fruit. We're now in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. You brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of good stored in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment. For every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you'll be acquitted. And by your words you'll be condemned. And Jesus says my tongue is tied. It's tied to my character. Good tree good fruit. Bad tree, bad fruit. What you say and even how you say it will tell others about the true person you are. Your words reveal your character. Ever said something that seemingly contradicted your character? A friend of mine told me of a story when he was a guest speaker at a church this past spring. He was mic'd up, um, and they had put the pack on his back, and the sound person had said, hey, I, I left it on, but I assure you I'll have it muted out so no one will hear what's going on, and so the guy went about his morning, and right before the service started, he ran back to the pastor's office just to get a quick study, a glance at his notes, and there the minister of the church walked in, and casually my buddy had said, hey, tell me, how are things going here? And that's when the pastor went on this tirade, and he said, The church is lazy, the church is greedy, they don't give, and no one knows this, but at the end of the year, I'm going to put in my resignation. Service was about ready to begin, so they exited the office, and there in the hallway to meet them was the sound man and an elder. And my friend's microphone had picked up all that the pastor had said. The mic was muted in the sanctuary, but it was left open in the nursery. And the volunteers working in the nursery heard the entire conversation, heard everything that their pastor had just expressed about them, and they became unhinged and got the elders together as quickly as possible. And when the service had started, the pastor got up and he tried to put out the wildfire. And he said, folks, uh, I don't know where that came from. That's not an expression of my heart. That's, that's my frustration talking. no. That was his heart talking. That was the genuine character on display. Your tongue is tied to your character. By the way, that pastor is no longer at that church. My tongue is tied to my character. My tongue is also tied my heart. Jesus taught the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And then he talks to the Pharisees and he labels them, you brood of vipers. And what he was getting at was saying, your words are so poisonous. They're so hazardous. They're so killing. Their hearts are polluted. If you ever want to get control of your tongue, you must first control what goes into your heart. Our words come from the overflow of our heart. Okay, when a car pulls out in front of you, and you hit your brakes. What's the first words that come out of your mouth? Most likely is, you're an idiot, right? That came from your heart. A few a few weeks ago, uh, Teresa Heidenreich, who goes to our church, darted out in front of me. I slammed on my brakes, brakes and I honked out of anger. It's a good thing I wasn't mic'd up in my car. <laughs> when you're surprised in fear, what comes from your mouth? When you are overjoyed with delight. What words do you use to express that delight? Whatever they are, they've come from the heart. That's probably the most recognizable way to see what's in your heart. What words leap out when you're scared? What words leap out when you are excited? When parents are worn out and they get angry. You've ever been there, parents? When you get worn out and angry and your kids, they go to you and you get you, you just blast your kids with words. I mean, there's near verbal abuse with words. And later you go back in because you recognize that those words are going to settle into their heart and you don't want that for your kid. And you go back and you apologize. And what do you say? You say, I'm sorry. I didn't mean those words. Dad's just tired. No, you didn't mean those words. But those words bubbled up out of your heart and they hit your kids in the face just as well as your hand would have. Or when you're frustrated with work and you're not getting the hours that you want to get or you need to get, you go back on the shop floor and your words turn bitter and they turn biting towards management. And then the boss calls you in because he's heard the words that you've spoken through the grapevine. And what is, what is it that you say? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just frustrated, that's all. And it's our attempt to distance our, our, our heart from our words. That's what we're doing. We're we're attempting to just distance our heart from our words. And When we say things like, I I can't believe I just said that. That, That's not me. Well, it is us, Jesus says. That's exactly the real you. That's your heart talking. And we say, well, no, no. I'm distancing my heart from my words. Or how about when we distance our words from our heart by saying in astonishment, where did that even come from? Like we have this internal conversation. I can't believe I just said that. I don't say things like that. No. Well, it came from your heart. That's the true you. You know, one of the things I've been personally convicted of is what I listen to on the radio. I used to have the radio on all the time when I would drive. I'd listen to talk radio mostly, uh, whether that was just some kind of talk radio in the afternoon or NPR or a comedy show in the morning. And then I realized it wasn't doing anything for me. It was just polluting my mind. Now I use that time more wisely. I, try to use that time to talk to God rather than have someone talk at me and I'm telling you this because some of you wonder where your hurtful words or your sarcastic words or your derogatory words originate from they come from outside sources and we need to filter what comes into our ears because they will they will enter our heart and they'll spill out of the overflow of our heart you see, if the tap water that is piped to your faucet at home were to come in as brown in color, would you drink it? No, you'd probably immediately call the water department and you'd demand that they fix it and that they treat the water so that it's fit for consumption. Most, most people would not drink tainted water. But let's say that the watercolor is removed And it's fit for consumption, but now there is an odor to it and a pungent taste. And you call the water department, and they assure you all the tests have been ran. Everything is right with the water. It's pure, it's good. And you're not willing, though, to put up with the taste. You're not willing to put up with the smell. And they say, There's nothing we can do. It's to the qualifications that we need it to be to get to your house. And you recognize, I'm gonna have to filter my water. I'm gonna have to get soft water. I'm gonna have to get purifiers. I'm gonna have to get filters. And we would take those steps so that we could have good tasting, good smelling water coming into our house. And if we'd go to that length to get good water to drink with and to cook with, why don't we go to extreme lengths as well to filter out the internet content or to filter out what's on television through the cable that comes in streaming? Why don't we go to great lengths to filter out the entertainment that we welcome into our home? Proverbs chapter four, verse 23 tells us, above all, guard your heart. Why? For everything you do flows from it. What goes in, friends, is ultimately going to come out. And we wonder where these insensitive, angry, and harsh words come from that seem like so out of character for us. Well, the truth is they've entered into our ears and they have polluted our heart because many of us are unwilling to filter out the filth that we allow into our minds. Friends, that's the the hard truth. And Jesus reiterated his teaching about the heart and our mouths expressing to people what's actually in it when he said these words, the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. The words you speak come from your heart. Your tongue is tied to your heart. Remember Jesus said, a good man brings good things out of the good store in him and an evil man Brings evil things out of the evil that's stored up in him. My tongue is tied to my heart. It's tied to my character. But Jesus mentions one more more thing in Matthew chapter 12. My tongue is tied to judgment, my judgment. Look at verse 36 of Matthew 12. Jesus taught it like this. He said, but I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you'll be acquitted and by your words you'll be condemned. Now, you want to talk about words having power over life and death? It's not just your kids. It's not just your spouse. It's not just your friends who remember your words long after they've been said. Jesus tells us that our Heavenly Father remembers our words as well, and that is sobering for a guy like me. God's not only going to ask those who are verbal abusers to give an account he's gonna ask you to give an account for your words that should put us on notice we speak about sixteen thousand words a day that's about 400 million words in a lifetime i can't remember all the words i said yesterday i certainly couldn't tell you any of the words i said five years ago and all I know is that my words have not always been positive. My words have not always been loving, and my words have not always been godly. I have wounded others with my words. I have intentionally angered others with my speech. I have demoralized others with my verbiage. I have allowed my language at times to be coarse, scathing, to be biting. And I have no excuse that I can possibly give to God as to why those words would come out of my mouth except for the truthful excuse that the prophet Isaiah wrote about himself. Woe to me, I'm ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips. I've got a polluted heart. And God is going to judge me by my words. There's no hope for this guy. And friends, this is why I need Jesus as my Savior. This is why you do too. One sin or a million sins, we're all in need of a Savior. But one sinful word or 400 million sinful words, we all need a Savior. And friend, I love the promises of God. I, when I feel unworthy when I think about words, I feel unworthy. And when I feel unworthy, I go back to the promises that God gives me. This is why it's important to memorize scripture so that it is in the wellspring of your heart and it can bubble up. Like scripture, like 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. But if we confess our sin, he is forgive us sins and because he can trust God. We can trust God to do what is right. He will cleanse us from all the wrongs we have done. If you just own up to how your words have hurt others and accept God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ, God will forgive you. Last week we had said, it's not so much divine to forgive, it's divine to forget. That people don't forget our words, but God has the ability to forget our words. But that can only happen when you come to Jesus and you're pardoned for your crime. And that doesn't give you the liberty to continue to do wrong when you're pardoned. It gives you the freedom to do what is right. Acts chapter 3 verse 19 tells us, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That is the word for obliterate. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You know that phrase was used by the scribes who would write down uh, and preserve history on a scroll of papyrus. Papyrus is hard to get and it wasn't like paper. You just can crumple it up and throw it away. And if if, if there was a word that was spelled wrong, if there was a word out of place, if there was something added, they would have to... Erase the entire papyrus. They'd go to the waters and they would scrub it and wash it clean so that it would get back to its purity. Doesn't matter how much right was on written, if there was one wrong, it would all be scrubbed clean. And when scrubbed clean, then they could write down in perfection the proper words. I don't think I need to apply that to your life. That Jesus makes us clean, removing the old words so that new words can be written on our heart? So here's the challenge, here's the challenge for us today. As Christ followers, the challenge is this. Choose your words wisely. Once our words are said, they can't be easily taken back. It's like trying to put toothpaste back into the tube after it's been squeezed out. You're you're gonna have to choose your words wisely. And let me give you three quick ways to do that. Let me give you some application. First is to pause, take a deep breath before you interject any words into the conversation. You're mad? Walk away for a moment. Settle yourself down. Settle your emotions down so that your words do not create a man-made disaster so that that spark doesn't wipe out the family. It's better to bite your tongue than having to eat your words later. Make a commitment with yourself to listen more, talk less. You know, the silence between the notes is what makes the music more beautiful. Give your conversations some silence. Don't think that you have to have the last word, actually force yourself this week to say, I will not have the last word. The only time you should have the last word in a conversation is to bring a last word of encouragement or to apologize. In the Old Testament book of Psalms, you'll find that there's a word that is located in between the verses of scripture. It's the word selah. It means to pause and to reflect, and it is there to encourage the reader that you need to settle down and you need to digest and take a deep breath and meditate on what you just read. Pause for a moment. Don't talk, pause. And I think as we have conversations with other people, we just need to remember, say la, digest, bring it in. As you go to your next meeting, write on the top of your note page, say la. I'm gonna pause, I'm gonna reflect before I speak. First, pause. The second way to choose your words wisely is to ponder. This is when you talk to your mind before you, your, before you talk with your tongue. Think before you speak. Taste your words before you spit them out. Here's a suggestion on how you can do that through this word think. Uh, use it as an acronym and think through your words. Is this true? Is this true? What I'm about to say, is this true? Not a half truth, not a speculation. Is this true? Is this helpful? Will this build up someone or push them down? Are these words that I'm about to say words that will encourage? Are they words that mend? Are they words that strengthen? Is this inspiring? Think, will these words bring positive motivation to someone? Ponder, is this necessary? The words that I want to say may not be the words that should be said. Is this kind? Proverbs chapter 16 verse 24 says, Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Kind people are my kind of people. I want to be around those folks. Their words are thoughtful. You know, most people don't know how to give a genuine compliment without giving a backhanded compliment. Try this week to give a genuine compliment without a backhand. Tell someone their value in life. Tell them how thankful you are that God has put them in their life. There's the third way to choose your words widely, and that is to pray. Pray and ask our Lord to create in us a pure heart like the psalmist did. The heart is the well from which we draw out our words. Ask God Like what the psalmist had asked. Set a guard over my mouth. This should be our prayer. God, guard my mouth. Set a guard over it. Put a gate over top of it. Lord, keep watch over the door of my lips. Friends, if you want to get control over something that you don't have control over, you're going to need help from the one who created it so that he can control it. And if you really want to be wise with your words, then you've got to have a heart change. You've got to let God change your heart today. You start changing your words by allowing God to change your heart. So today, the call is to repent, to come and have your sins obliterated, and to start fresh, to be cleaned, to have those things wiped out so something new can be written on your heart. And you need to use your words today to ask God for that fresh start through Jesus Christ being your Savior. Some of you in this room, you've had abuse verbally thrown on you. You've been called names and it's never gotten off your heart. You've been degraded verbally. Someone had said the tongue has no bones, but it's strong enough to break hearts. And you found that out to be true. You need to today use your words. Use your words to ask God to not just heal you, but also so that you can release and forgive those that have hurt you. Ask God today through your words to heal yourself. Some of you are so broken hearted that you need God to bring healing. And what we're asking you today is just take time as we sing to pray and say, God, heal me. Let's stand together and let's give our lives to Jesus Christ. Let's be fully committed to him. And let's do that today by taking on the challenge that we'll choose our words wisely.